morning, Muskoka. How are y'all today? Good, good. Well, listen, start finding your way over to 1 Kings chapter 19. So we're going to be starting our new series. It's called Beautifully Broken, Semicolon, Profoundly Powerful. Every man and woman in this, in this room here today wants to have gospel power in their life. But if we're going to ever experience that, we first need to be beautifully broken before the Lord because it's on the soil of brokenness that, that the gospel meets us, works on us, and then begins to work through us. So find your way over to 1 Kings 19. But before we dive in, we're going to have to stop and pray for this reason. There is going to be an instant rub between the word of God and culture right off of the bat. You see, culture just proclaims here today that you're not broken, you are perfect. The word of God proclaims, or the culture claims here today that you are enough, you are the greatest gift to all of mankind. And so what we often try to do is pretend that we don't have brokenness. And yet the word of God is gonna show you the power of brokenness right off the bat. But we gotta ask for gospel strength in order to be broken because it's gonna go against all of our flesh and it's gonna go against all of our culture. So let's stop and pray. So Father God, we come before you right now, Lord, needing you. Lord, would we open your word? Would we see your design? And would we see the beauty of it? And would we walk in the power of it? So Holy Spirit, you're not just welcome in this room. You're needed in this room. Would you be living and active? Lord, would you be moving, speaking, convicting, and encouraging God that we would walk away here today having an experience with you? That's why we're here, God. So would you do that? In Christ's name, amen. Now listen, if y'all didn't bring a Bible or you don't own one, uh, ushers will be handing them out. If you don't own a Bible, please feel free. That is your copy. That is our gift to you. So we're going to be in 1 Kings 19. So before I jump in, though, we're always going to have a temptation to, to pretty up our brokenness and to try and even add public relations to our brokenness. So I want to share a story of a family received a picture of an old cowboy, and on the back of the picture, it was their family member. On the back of their picture, it said this, Remus Reed was his name, horse thief, sent to Montana Territorial Prison in 1885, escaped in 1887. Robbed the Montana Flyer six times. Caught by Pinkerton detectives. Convicted and hung in 1889. So did you, did you hear those ingredients? Horse thief, went to jail, escaped jail, robbed the train, convicted and hung. Now the family didn't really like this story, so they actually rewrote it. Watch this, you ready? Remus Reed was a famous cowboy in the Montana Territory. His business empire grew to include the acquisition of valuable equestrian assets. He had intimate dealings with the Montana Railroad. Beginning in 1883, he devoted several years of his life to government service. <laughs> but finally taking a leave to resume his dealings with the railroad. In 1887, Remus Reed was a key player in a vital investigation run by the renowned Pinkerton Detective Agency. Unfortunately, in 1889, Remus passed away during an important civic function held in his honor. <laughs> when the platform upon which he was standing collapsed. 
What can we learn from a funny story like this? And it's this. There's always gonna be a temptation for us to pretty up, to justify, and to minimize our brokenness. But I want you to know, as a Christian, prettying up our brokenness is ultimately powerless. What I wanna do over the next three weeks is study a different man of God who is broken before the Lord and watch what the Lord does. So today we're talking about Elijah. So before we jump into 1 Kings 19, I gotta give you the context of 1 Kings 18. Now, if you grew up in the church, you've seen this story a thousand times on the felt board. This is where uh, Elijah soaks the altar full of water and calls upon God, fire from heaven consumes the altar, and then Elijah goes and kills the prophets of Baal. This is, 1 Kings 18, is the ultimate high for a prophet. The Lord shows up, amazing things happen. This is when Elijah gets book deals. This is when Oprah Winfrey contacts him for her next episode. This is when Elijah's podcast subscribers skyrocket. You think this would be the high for a prophet, and you're actually about to see, in just one chapter later, you're about to see a suicidal prophet. So watch this. Go to 1 Kings 19. I'm going to read verses 1 through 8 at the beginning. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid and he arose and he ran for his life and he came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and he left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and he came and he sat down under a broom tree. He asked the Lord that he might die saying, it is enough now, O Lord, take away my life for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and he slept under a broom tree and behold, an angel touched him and said to him, arise and eat. And he looked and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. He ate and he drank and he laid down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and he said, arise and eat for the journey is too great for you. So he arose and he ate and he drank and he went in the strength of that food for 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mount of God. So now you see a man who loves the Lord, has been mightily used by the Lord, and now he's at a very low point alone in the desert with the Lord. Here's my first point in seasons of brokenness, and it's this, caution. What you fear determines where you will go. You see it in in verse four, Elijah feared Jezebel. So Elijah's fear drives him to isolation. Elijah's fear drives him to the desert. Elijah's fear drives him to despair. He leaves his friends, he leaves his companions, and he leaves his ministry altogether because of misplaced fear. Now, you got to understand, I know I'm up in Muskoka, so a lot of you guys are a little bit more handy and outdoorsy, right? Like, most guys, like, outfits up here is just different types of camo. Top drawer is forest camo. Middle drawer is, like, snow camo. And then the bottom drawer is, like, desert camo. So for some of you guys going into the desert, you're like, yeah, I'm going to grab my 30-06. It's going to be great. I go into the desert, I'm dead. I am an unhandy extrovert. So this is what happens when I go into the desert. You ready? I'm going to need to make a friend because I'm a talker. There's nobody around. Naturally, I'm going to befriend a rattlesnake. I'm going to get bit. Also, I'm not good at foraging. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to eat the first berries I see. Guaranteed, you know what those berries are? 
poisonous. So now I've been bit by something poisonous and I've ingested something poisonous. I go into the desert guaranteed within four hours, Kai is preparing a funeral message for Matt King. <laughs> so here's, here's the warning and it's this. Misplaced fear can take you to some dangerous places. But what is fear? Ultimately, what is fear? As a counselor, when I encounter people who fear certain situations, who fear certain people, it's this. It's power that you ascribe to something. When you fear something, you give it, in your mind, a certain degree of power. So watch this, you ready? Improperly placed fear leads to despair and hopelessness. But a fear of the Lord, now that brings life. That brings flourishing. You see, when, when God is big in Elijah's mind, Jezebel is small. But what did you see in this passage? It was the other way around. Jezebel is very big, and therefore, God is small in the mind of Elijah. Why? He has given a lot of power to Jezebel, and what does she want to do to Elijah? Kill him. You gave power in your mind to the very thing that wants to, des- to destroy you. You see, in moments of discouragement, it's always vital for Elijah and ourselves here today to do a spiritual vision check. Are your eyes and your hope and your affection on the trial, or are they on your God? Are your eyes on a particular person, or are they on your God? You see, in our moments of discouragement, just like Elijah, we have to decide Do we give power to a God in our minds, knowing that that God is all-powerful and he is with us in the trial? Or do we give all the power in our minds to the very thing that wants to destroy us? See, Christians, we're gonna have this constant battle. There's gonna be this constant tension where we know that we're called to look to the Lord, but we're also tempted to look to the thing that wants to destroy us or preach to us hopelessness. Like, I know if I did a poll of everybody here in the room today and we're like, what's the right answer? To look to the Lord or to look to the trial? Everyone's gonna be like, to look to the Lord. But the truth is sometimes we're gonna be really having this tension in our lives where we have to discipline ourselves. What are we gonna think about? What are we gonna meditate on? What are we going to run to in the trial? Do we wanna run to the trial in the trial and it destroy us? Do we wanna try and run to that other person that we always try to find hope in and destroys us? Or are we gonna run to our God in our trial? You see, in moments of discouragement, we need to remind ourselves what we choose to fear determines where we will go. So the first point when we see in this passage is caution. What you fear determines where you go. But I want to encourage you with another point, and it's this. Celebrate. The Lord meets us where we're at. You see, Elijah is just simply going into the desert, desiring death. He's in despair. He's all alone. I mean, this is a terrible cocktail of emotions. And yet, it's the very place that the Lord meets him in. Let's see how gentle, let's see how great our God is when it comes to his children who are struggling. Read verses five through seven with me again, okay? And he laid down and he slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said, arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. He ate and drank, and he laid down again. Angel of the Lord came a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. Guys, something really beautifully subtle just happened here. God has provisions and care ready for Elijah when he's simply sleeping. Elijah is not seeking the Lord in this moment. The Lord has sought Elijah. 
Do you see the difference between the two? Elijah's not seeking the Lord in this moment. He's just in REM cycles. But the Lord is coming after Elijah. But look at how gentle and how good the Lord is. What's the Lord's care plan? Eat, drink, sleep, repeat. How many of you would love to go to a doctor and on their prescription pad was eat, sleep, drink, sleep, repeat? I don't know about you, the sleep one seems really appetizing to me because at the end of the day, I've got a five-year-old and a one-year-old and naps are like this elusive unicorn that just will not happen in my home. And so we start to see here though that, that the Lord goes eat, drink, sleep, repeat. You see, in, the, in this moment, Elijah's still low and struggling, but it's important that we see something here and it's this. Even in these moments where Elijah is still low and struggling, the Lord is beginning to strengthen Elijah for a work that Elijah doesn't even see yet. The Lord is preparing Elijah with strength that does not come from Elijah. See, this story is a great representation for how our God wants to meet us in our brokenness. You see, it's easy for us to have a false view of God in our trials, a false view of God in our brokenness, in our despair, right? Because there's always these, in these trials, there's these little whispers. You all know what yours are. I'll just say a couple of them. And it's this. In the middle of the trial, you hear the lies. You can't go to God. He's mad at you. You can't go to God. He doesn't care. Don't go to God. He is not with you in this. And there's thousands of other whispers that can happen. And and not just that, but could you ever think of like, a prophet is a very, very high office in the Old Testament. And so there's these moments where he has despair and he's running to the Lord in his despair. But I bet you there's a thousand whispers Elijah had that said like, don't look broken. Don't you dare be broken. You're a prophet. You're supposed to be farther along than this. You love the Lord. You can't struggle. And there's these little whispers that are trying to tell you, don't be broken, don't be broken, don't be broken. Let's be honest here. How many of you have that here today? Well, no, don't be broken. Make, at least let your spouse know that you have it all together. No, don't, don't be broken. You're, you're in leadership. You're not allowed to struggle. At least look like you have it together. See, the fact is, there's always these little whirring whirling whispers telling you, don't be broken. You know what that is? That's the flesh and the enemy trying to pull you away from experiencing any type of power in your brokenness. It just wants to leave you in your brokenness all alone. But here's here's the truth of it. You ready? He's not angry. He doesn't not care. And and, and when, when there's a lie that he is not with you, we need to be able to pair that with truth. Because at times, these trials are gonna whisper to us that our God is far, but he is not. And when we see God's true character for what it is, loving and welcoming because of the blood of Jesus Christ, then we will always feel, feel safe and free to be able to run to God in the middle of the trial. But I wanna encourage you with a thought, and it's this. The God of Elijah is your God today. He hasn't changed. And a matter of fact, actually, we experience God's love in a way Elijah didn't. You know why? We know the one that the prophets prophesied about, Christ Jesus. You see, when we fear the Lord, we turn to him in our brokenness, 
and we go to the exact place when we are before the Lord in our brokenness, it's the very grounds in which our brokenness is paired with his power. So I wanna ask you, what is your situation today? Is it your marriage? Is it your private life? Is it that thing that nobody knows but haunts you? What struggle are you facing today? Because the truth is this, we all wanna be farther along in our Christian walk than we are today, but here's a better ambition than that, and it's this, you ready? Allow God to meet you where you're actually at, not where you want to be at. God wants to meet you right in the middle of what you're going through. He's not waiting for you to get to the other side and then he'll meet you. If you're in brokenness, in your despair, you're in trial here today, I want you to know your God wants to meet you right here in this seat to give you a strength that you do not have on your own. The truth is this, the gospel says this, our God meets us exactly where we're at. Don't just rejoice in that fact, rest in it. Rest in that truth. You don't have to pretty yourself up in order for the Lord to meet you. So wherever you're at in your trial here today, in your seat, here and now, understand that there's a God that desires you, there's a God that desires your heart, your thoughts, and your affections, and he desires to strengthen you with a strength that is not your own. So the first point was caution. What you fear determines where you go. The second point was celebrate. The Lord meets us where we're at. The third point is this, cling. The Lord provides what we need and, the, and his warehouses are never empty. You're noticing all my points start with the same letter. I grew up Baptist, I'm sorry, I'm working on it. And so here's what happens though, cling, why? Because the Lord provides what we need and his warehouses are never empty, question. So if I ever give a historical fact, I promise you it's awesome, it's not boring, and it's this. Historically, during this time, while Elijah is in the desert, it's a season of drought. Question, what is hard to find in a season of drought? Water, absolutely. Interact with me a little bit. What's a hard thing to find in the desert? Water. What's even harder to find during a drought in the desert? Food and water. But my question is this, what's the very thing the Lord met Elijah with? Food and water. Do you see that? All of his surroundings dictated there is no provision and yet the Lord provides. Why? Where our warehouses might be empty, the Lord's are never empty. See, the Lord is so close to Elijah in this season that in Elijah's brokenness, we still see God meeting all of Elijah's needs, his emotional needs, his spiritual needs, and his physical needs. The Lord's care plan for his children is so good, it it takes care of their needs on every level of their being. You wanna know how your God has a similar care plan for you just like he did Elijah? Do you remember how Elijah was just sleeping and the Lord had already met him with his needs? Imagine this, 2,000 years ago at a cross, there's this lively memory that Christ died for every man and woman in this room to remove all the barriers between us and God so that we can now run, cling, hold fast, and turn to God in the midst of our trials. Do you see that? God's preemptively already met your needs so that you can now run to him. Before you were a thing, you were, you were already on his mind. 
And 2,000 years later, you just happen to be born. Why? Christ died on a cross with you on his mind, knowing that you will have trials, you will have hardships, and you will have lows. And he desires for you to come to him in all of it. God met Elijah first. Equally, he meets every man and woman in this room first. Now, here's a beautiful truth and a difficult truth at the same time, and it's this. The Lord ordains difficult circumstances in our lives to remove all self-sufficiency so that when we have victory, all the praise, all the glory, and all the honor goes to him. We all have these little pillars of support in our lives, and they're not all necessarily bad, but there's some seasons where it feels like all the pillars fall and you've got nothing left. And I want you to know that even in that hopelessness where you feel all alone, I want you to know that even God ordains those difficult seasons as opportunities for you to learn to draw, lean on, and need him in those trials. You see, it's no coincidence. The greater Elijah is relying on the Lord's care plan and provision, the stronger Elijah is becoming. You see, the greater Elijah clings to the gentle care plan of God like a patient walking with an IV pole hooked up to his arm, the more you see a despaired, riddled, suicidal prophet get back up and prepare himself for more ministry. You see, what God is doing in Elijah's heart is he's creating greater dependence in Elijah's life. And as Elijah, in that dependence, greater turns to the Lord you see a power in Elijah that does not come from himself. I wanna ask you here today though, what if your trial, what if your hardship, what if your fear, what if your despair no longer ruled over you and no longer drove you to an emotional desert of despair? What if your trial here today was a beautiful catalyst that God had ordained for you to abide in him greater, would it be worth it? That very question will weave out nominal Christians to true followers of Christ. If your trial gives you more of your God in your life, is it worth it? We know what the checkmark answer is, yes, of course. But sometimes when you feel the weight of the trial and the hardship, You gotta remind your heart that what God is doing in that moment is worth it, even in the weight of the trial, even in the weight of the despair. So caution, what you fear determines where you go. Celebrate, the Lord meets us where we're at. Cling, the Lord provides us what we need and his warehouses are never empty. And four, catalyst, the journey is too great for you and not for him. Go to verses seven and eight with me, it's really intriguing. And an angel of the Lord came a second time and touched him and he said, arise and eat for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and he ate and he drank and went in the strength of that, 40, of that food for 40 days and 40 nights. You know, I've seen a lot of really interesting verses on Christian t-shirts and Christian mugs, especially like Christian coffee mugs, but I've never seen like a Christian coffee mug that a Christian was sipping from and on the, on, on the outside of it, it said, the journey's too great for you. No, it's normally a little more bubbly. It's normally a little more cheerful. He is with you or something like that. Just abide. But see, here we see in this verse, it says, the journey is too great for you. That sounds kind of insulting up front. The Lord just outed Elijah saying, what God has called Elijah to do, Elijah in and of himself cannot do. 
But here's the beautiful brokenness. This is the theme we're gonna draw on from this series. It's this, here's the beautiful brokenness. The journey is too great for Elijah. He cannot do it. This is beautiful brokenness, why? The journey's never been too great for God and he is with Elijah. This is the profound power. This is the profound power, why? Because you saw in verse eight, Elijah got up and went in the strength that the Lord had provided. Do you see that? The beautiful brokenness, Elijah can't do it, but the profound power that his God is with him and that Elijah gets up and he goes forward in ministry on the strength that the Lord had provided for him. Do you realize how different that type of strength is compared to your strength? Can you imagine Elijah in despair, low, wanting to die and had to do it by his strength? That just gets more depressing. That just gets more despair-filled. But imagine that God wants to meet his despair-filled children struggling in trial and in hardship, and he wants to meet his children to provide them with a strength that is not theirs. That is how we know that God is working in our lives. Why? Because the very thing that is too great for us to do, we will do it because we have the Lord, we have his spirit, and we have his word, and he will strengthen us to do it. And when we do it, we have to give him the glory. Why? We know how weak we are. We know how not together we are. So suddenly, if we start to see the transformative power of the gospel working in our lives, we know that it's God doing it in us. It's not us. It's not our abilities. It's not our talent. It's not our degrees. It's not our accreditation. It's the Lord working in us. You see, this is the arena, and welcome to it, in which the weakness of man collides with the strength of the Lord and a reaction happens where men who cannot do it start to do it. Why? Their God is with them in what the Lord has called them to do. The soil of beautiful, beautiful brokenness, it has to be laid in order for the budding of profound gospel power to break through. You see, Elijah had confidence to be broken before the Lord, but here's a question. Do you? Do you have the gospel-emboldened strength to be broken before the Lord? I'm not asking you to be broken before your spouse. Don't do that. They're not your God. I'm not asking you to be broken before your trial. Your trial's not your God. I'm asking you, in the midst of your hardship, do you have the gospel-emboldened strength to be broken before your God? Or are you still too comfortable and assured with your strength, your wisdom, your abilities, and your resources? If you have the gospel emboldened strength to be broken before the Lord, then I want to encourage you, celebrate, rejoice. Why? Beautiful things happen in the life of a Christian who is willing to be broken so that they become, become profoundly powerful. What's the catalyst in all of that? And it's this, Christ. He is with you and he is for you. Christianity is the only faith that doesn't tell you to fake it until you make it. Christianity is the faith that actually starts by saying you can't do it because of your sin, so I will come to you in it. And then the Lord meets us in our sin, saves us, transforms us, and he sanctifies us. That's the beauty of beautiful brokenness and profound power. 
the catalyst, the hinge point for all of it is Christ and his accomplished work on the cross. So listen, caution. What you fear determines where you go. Celebrate. The Lord meets us where we're at. Cling. The Lord provides what we need and his warehouses are never empty. Catalyst. The journey is too great for you and not for him. Here's my final point. Come. Listen to the one whom none thwarts. You see, at the end of verse eight, Elijah is now getting up and going. He's no longer under the broom tree. The Lord's called him to keep going. So first of all, do you see that transformative power? Elijah starts by going under a broom tree. And as an Old Testament Jew, he's not allowed to commit suicide. So what he does, he goes, Lord, I'm not allowed to commit suicide. I need your help. Kill me now. Goes under the broom tree, goes to sleep, not really expecting, he's at least hoping not to wake up. And now we see this Elijah getting up and going forward in a whole new strength. So first of all, do you see that transformative power of what the Lord does when he meets his low children? Do you see it? My question is this. Do you believe that the Lord wants to do the same thing in you? You see, at the end of verse eight now, Elijah's getting up and he's going. Um, And so he's going up on the mountain to hear from God. So let's listen. Let's read verses nine through 18. We're gonna come across some funky names. So just be patient with me. I'm gonna try. So here we go. You ready? Verse nine. There he came to a cave and he lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant. They've thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And he said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. And a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and he went out and he stood at the entrance of the cave and behold, there came a voice to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, throw down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword, and I, and even I only, am left, and they seek to take my life and to take it away. And the Lord said to him, go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria, and Jehu, the son of Nimshi, um, you shall anoint to be king over Israel, and Elisha, the son of Shaphat, and Abel, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes the sword from Hazael shall Jehu put to death, and the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bound to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. Watch this. In verses 9 through 18, Elijah goes to hear from the Lord. The prophet that was despair-ridden, wanting to die, is now getting up and getting ready to do ministry. Why? He's already moving in a power that's not his own. He's moving in a strength that's not his own. And he goes to hear from the Lord. And there's intense fire, but God's not in it. There is intense wind, 
and God's not in it. There's an intense earthquake and God's not in it. But then, then there's a whisper and God's in it. You know, John MacArthur says when it comes to the Lord whispering to Elijah, he says this, the Lord's self-revelation to Elijah came in a faint whispering voice. The lesson for Elijah was that almighty God was quietly, sometimes imperceivably, doing his work in Israel. There's seasons in the life of a prophet, just like us here today, where we need to be reminded that God is near and he is working. Because sometimes we go through a season where we do not see it and we do not get it. How do I know this is true? Look at what Elijah is saying to Jezebel, like what, God, what Elijah is saying to God. He's, he's literally just going before the Lord. Like, Lord, I don't know if you know what's going on down here. Lord, like they're killing all the prophets. I'm the only one. Israel sinned. And he's going before the Lord like, Lord, what are you doing? Because it looks terrible down here. But God reminds Elijah something very important, and it's this. Jezebel does not threaten the Lord's plans. God reminds Elijah that God's work will always be completed by God. And no man, no woman, and no trial will ever thwart or threaten that. You see, in this moment, in this faint whisper, the Lord reminds Elijah of three important things. The Lord is close, the Lord is working, and nothing, nothing threatens the hand of the Lord. How true is it that we need to be reminded of this today? We get into seasons, trials, hardships, where we just don't get it. We don't know what the Lord is doing. We don't know how he is working. But we need to be reminded of these three truths. When we don't get it, when it feels heavy and we don't know what the Lord is doing, we must remind ourselves the Lord is close, the Lord is working, and nothing, nothing threatens the plans that the Lord has for you and your life. But here's a good question to ask. Are you positioned before the Lord to hear the whisper? Or are you too busy to hear it? Are you positioned before the Lord to hear the whisper? Or are you too busy to hear it? You ever had, and listen, I listen to my iPod way too loud on a regular basis, but you ever have somebody whisper to you? What do you do naturally? You lean in. You incline your ear closer. And I wanna ask y'all, I don't have to ask you if you have brokenness, you do. I wanna ask you a different question, it's this. Do you position your daily life in a way that when the Lord speaks, you're ready to hear it? Or are you too busy running around frantically, emotionally? You see, when we're vertically broken, when we're broken before the Lord, when we're beautifully broken, the Lord will give us gentle, even subtle reminders of his sovereignty and of his closeness. 
but have we positioned our lives to not only just be broken before the Lord, but are we leaning in eagerly, expecting him to speak to us? The Lord chooses how and when he will speak. But are you ready to listen? When Elijah's ear switched off from Jezebel and onto the Lord, there's a whole new prophet with a whole new strength. And I want to encourage you here today. Maybe you've learned to incline your ear to the thing you're not supposed to incline your ear to. I want to encourage you here today. Take your ear off of the trial. Take your ear off of the hardship and incline it towards the Lord. And he will speak and he will put that hardship into trial. And so I just want to kind of throw a couple scenarios over you because a lot of us are going to fall into a couple of these categories. And I want you to just spend a minute as the worship band just kind of plays quietly in the background. I want you to examine your heart. Here we go. If we want a profound power of the gospel in our lives, we must first be beautifully broken before God. Do you have a brokenness before God? Maybe you're here today and you're really quick to be broken before a spouse or your marriage, broken before the kids, broken before the work or the job or the finances, but maybe even use this moment to be like, you know what, Holy Spirit, realign my heart. May I be broken before you and and you alone. Or maybe you're here today and you need to be reminded, kind of like Elijah was, do you know that the journey is too great for you in and of yourself? Do you know that what God has ordained for your life and has called you to do, you cannot do apart from his spirit? And so maybe you're here today and you're like, wow, I'm really running on self-sufficiency. I'm really running on my abilities and my gifts then sweetly use this moment just to confess that before the Lord and ask him to realign your heart. Maybe you're here today and you're still bent on your way, your wisdom, and your strength. And just use this moment to be like, hey, you know what, Lord? Would you, would you show me the futility of me? Would you show me um, the greatness of who you are? Would you break me? of my own turning to me. Maybe you're here today and you're broken. You know what the trial feels like. You know what the brokenness feels like and you don't know Christ. Then know this, the profound power in your life starts with your life ending and surrendering it to Christ so that a new life can begin. Or maybe you're here today and you're holding on to God in this season desperately, like a pain patient holds on to an IV that's dripping what they need into their system. And you're clinging to the Lord in this hopeless, despair-filled situation, but you're feeling faint. Maybe you're tempted to believe one of those lies, he is not with you. He is not close, he does not care. And maybe you're wrestling with those lies, sweetly just surrender those before the Lord, going, Lord, I know these are not true, help me fight these lies. But ultimately, be encouraged. In the most difficult of circumstances, when we are vertically broken, when we are, when we are beautifully broken before the Lord, then know that your trial and your hardship becomes the very grounds for your God to demonstrate his power, his strength, 
his love for you and his closeness to you. Welcome to beautiful brokenness and profound power. Muskoka, will you pray with me? So Father God, we come before you. Lord, I thank you for the fact that I don't have to pretend to have it all together up here. I don't have to pretend to be more than I actually am, Father God. I thank you that 2,000 years ago at a cross, you met all of our needs so that we can run to you in our time of need. And God, I don't even pretend to know the trials that are before me and all these people in front of me. So God, I pray not for more independent Christians, not for more self-sufficient Christians. God, I pray here today now by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you give us the courage to be broken before you so that we can experience the power of your Spirit working on our hearts and through our lives. Lord, would you do this? And I thank you, God, that because of Christ's sacrifice, we can run to a throne of grace and we can find grace and mercy in a time of need. So Lord, we stop not to lift our trial high, not to lift our hardships high. We stop to lift your name high because in all of creation, there is none like you. And so Lord, we, we give to you um, the power that is due to your name. You are bigger than our trial. You are bigger than our hardship. And so what we do now is we subject our trial under you, saying, Lord, whatever you're doing in my heart, would you continue to do this? Because it is a good, beautiful, powerful work. And we pray for these things in the name and in the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen.